Hi guys, and welcome to the GMBN podcast. This week, well, for me, it was such a fun conversation with Polley's designer-in-chief, Mr. Leo Konkinen. Honestly, for a bike tech guy such as myself, it was absolutely fascinating, and I hope you enjoy it too. We talked about bike design, the bike industry, and some of the controversial aspects of heading up a big company such as Polly. I really hope you enjoyed it. So, on with the podcast. So, Leo, thank you very much for coming on the GMBN podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, full disclaimer for the listeners at home, we should say this for me to begin with. I'm a bit of a Polly fanboy, and so if I descend into, like, you know, school childish giggles... You know, that is a real possibility. I'm a big fan of the bikes. I think it's really interesting what you're doing. Um, And hopefully it's going to be really cool to learn a bit about how the company started, where it all came from, and where we're going forward, and the concepts behind bike design. But before all of that, we're going to start with some fun word association. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I say it, you just hit me with a word right back. (laughs) This is going to be fun. (laughs) Finland. Fun. Mountain biking. I don't want to be boring and say fun again. It's like <laughs> passion. Uh, passion. 29 inch wheels. Fast. Progression. Uh, good for the future. Market. Uh, boring. <laughs> uh, unique. Um, okay. Progression. Progression. Function. Uh, Form. Form. Yeah. <laughs> That's my next word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, function. There then. we go. Um, geometry. Uh, difficult. Poly. Um, fun. Fun. Now, where did, and it's something we're actually talking about earlier on, I've for years been calling it pole. Yes. But it's actually poly. Yes, poly. Um, what does that mean in Finnish? Uh, pedal. It's a dialect in Finnish language where I come from Eastern Finland mm-hmm. and uh, it means uh, to pedal. You can shout uh, like uh, pedal, pedal, pedal. So it's a bit like ale, ale, ale. Yeah, yeah. A bit like that. Pole, pole, pole. Oh, cool. Yeah. Now I know what to shout at Finnish people when I want them to pedal yeah, faster. Yeah, pole, pole, pole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, where did this company come from? And was it, was it something that you always intended it to be this really progressive company? Or was it just you start you you know you wanted to explore your passion you wanted to make money and it just so happened that you're a progressive person do you see what I mean? Um, I designed uh, I designed my first bike uh, when I got my well I my first bike was orange uh, a downhill bike and um, I was thinking that I I could design my own uh, I just started drawing and then I found how difficult it is actually <laughs> yeah. and uh, but I had an industrial design company since two thousand and four. Uh, I have been entrepreneur all my life, basically. Uh, of course, I studied industrial design before that. But I've, uh, when I had my industrial design company, I thought that it's not uh, something that I want to do because it's I'm doing uh, I'm still working for somebody. Yeah. I wanted to have my own company and do what I ha- have passion for. And uh, uh, when I started getting more into downhill biking, I, I started liking bikes, but I didn't think that uh, that would be something that I would do. But I was it's still interested in building one. And uh, when um, we got uh, we got uh, we lost one company, uh, com- uh, like one contract, one customer, and uh, it was a pretty big customer. And uh, and uh, then I had time to uh, 
time in my hands yes. and I started like well now I could design the bike and I got some ideas about the geometry and uh, and uh, linkage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a concentric pivot, uh, basically. Uh, only the like the bearings and everything was. I, I thought that that would be a good uh, experiment, and I got BTR from uh, yes. from UK to build it. So I contacted Tam and asked could, could he uh, build one, and they they made a few of them bikes uh, for us to test. And I still didn't think I'm gonna uh, make a company out of yeah. it. But then I started thinking about more about it and uh, got myself into Eurobike and then I found an agent from Taiwan and then... So many stories start from, and then I went to Eurobike. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We had Greg on the podcast last week and he was yeah. like, and then I went to Eurobike. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what happens there? You need to make a comedy set like, <laughs> then I went to Eurobike. <laughs> yeah. um, it seems your story actually echoes a previous guest, um, Joe McEwen, who's from Starling Cycles. Yeah. And that he was also working in sort of industrial design and industrial engineering. And, um, and he basically ended up with a certain contract, which gave him more free time. And he was like, well, I may as well work on a bike. Yeah. And then before he knew it, the bike gathered, gathered pace. And he yeah. was putting all his all his energy to that. Now, coming out of Finland, has that been a help or a hindrance or kind of a 50-50? We have a long winter. Mm-hmm. And actually, when, when we have winter, we, you can't test anything. You, you need to go to Spain and or somewhere where, where you can actually ride it, ride the bike. Um, can't really say. We uh, have a good educational system, which probably helped me to gather all the needing skills to be able to run a, a, a mountain biking company because you need to be good at marketing as well. Mm. Uh, otherwise, you can't really sell. And when you're in Finland, the market is really, really small. Mm. It's very small. So basically, we needed to start thinking global from the start. That, yes. Yeah. yeah. Because um, when you do look back at those first full suspension bikes you made, yeah, you know, which must have been such a passion project, Yes. And imagine something you agonize over. What do you? What, how do you? How do you view that with a bit of hindsight? Do you view it as a something like oh, room for improvement, or was it always wow? You know, you still look back with a lot of pride. Well, um, I don't really know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I feel that it's long time ago, but it's still not so long mm. ta- time ago. But when I look at the photos, I've aged a lot since <laughs> the bike, six, yeah, the bike six is the years. Same. Yeah, <laughs> six years. Uh, but I, I um, like, uh, like I said to people who start being entrepreneur, they say that being entrepreneur is highs and lows. I think when you've been entrepreneur for for a while, uh, it becomes the same. The days are pretty much the same, but you live in the fu- live in the future. So basically, mm-hmm. I know stuff that people don't know. I have a lot of ideas where I want to go. Thirty six inch wheels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that's where you're going with it. <laughs> that's where that's where it all goes. It needs to progress in the same same lane. But anyway, it's like it's uh, uh, when I look at the bikes, I, I see that a lot of uh, I, I I had all the ideas, but it's it's not easy to implement. Mm. That's that's what it is. But looking back then, and I remember actually someone we spoke about before in this podcast, Adam Price. The privateer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he yeah. was on a pole. Yes, quite, quite a few yeah. years ago. Yeah, and um, and I remember talking to him about it. It's this radical bike. Now the stamina today is yeah. a radical bike. Yes, which probably has quite a niche following. Probably quite a diehard people like they absolutely love it. But there seems to be 
um, some people, some parts of the market that just aren't ready for it, for one way or another. Yeah. What would have happened, do you think, if you'd bought the stamina out in 2013? Do you think it would have just completely gone over people's heads, or do you think there'd still be a same group of people that said that makes sense? Well, it, it's a really difficult to say. Uh, what when I started uh, thinking about the bike, I had a. Uh, DH bike, mm-hmm. uh, actually K9. Uh, that's where where I uh, knew Tam from. He was yeah. working for K9, and uh, I built a trail bike out of that. I put the 140 fork, and uh, and uh, then I slackened the head angle from the bike. Then it settled settled around um, somewhere decent, uh, and I wanted to test how the C tube would work uh, because when you drop the front. Mm-hmm. You get a really st- steep C tube. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. And I immediately, I have actually a video about that. Uh, I immediately found out that it's, uh, it is good to pedal, but the reach is just too short. Your knees are on the handlebars, and uh, I gave it to my friends as well. Try this out, and everybody was like, "Rides fine," but nobody was like blown away about mm-hmm. the the how it was but i was so excited that I, like actually i found out that that bike worked and yes. it was really good to ride but i think uh, it needs time for most of the people to realize what's the benefits are for for any new invention so um it is hard for people who are not create uh, thinking creatively or they're uh, they're not searching new solution for their life. Mm-hmm. Most of the people are not searching new solutions for their problems all the time. Mm-hmm. But people who are uh, working around one problem, which you need to first have, kind of, I had a problem. I wanted to ride enduro, but I felt the enduro bikes were very good. Oh yeah, you were you were saying trail bikes or all mountain bikes back then. Yes, true. So I wanted to make a. a uh, all mountain bike that rides downhill as good as downhill bike, but I also found that the all mountain bikes weren't good at uphill as well. Yes, no, it's, it's yeah, they were different then for sure. So that's why I wanted to try the C tube angle because that's just logical when when you want to go uphill, you want the C tube to be more forward. But this is something that I find really interesting. It's something we briefly spoke about just an hour or so ago. In that, I think a lot of people when they're introduced to you know the, the idea of increasing the length of a bike they're almost the instinct reaction or one of the popular reactions is to say but i don't want a long bike xyz because i will never get around turns x you know, these, these are all the reasons i don't want a long bike but actually the way you're describing it and sometimes how i feel is there was all these advantages of how you know, if you live somewhere that's super flat Maybe that it isn't a great place for a really steep seat tube angle. But as soon as you start pointing it uphill, the amount of grip delivered to the rear wheel can, I believe it's immediately noticeable. Now, it's, I sometimes think that you get that riding sensation. As soon as you ride a bike with a, seat, a steeper seat tube angle, it's like a, 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 flip, a lever's been switched. Oh my God, there's so much grip. And even like t- climbing technical terrain. But if you paired it with the same top tube and the same well sorry the same reach numbers it would be very 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 small bike mm. so then you bring the bike bigger to make the bike a more comfortable seated position and you know that has benefits seat tube angle and, you know it's, it's a big picture of the bike and i think some of those people view one part in isolation and they don't realize that it's actually it didn't happen by accident 
Mm. And you should ride the bike and judge the bike on the whole bike's merit, not by one number. Yes. We used to do it a couple of years ago. Head angle, and that was it. Yeah, It yeah. didn't matter. What about the uh, chain stairs? Just stop, don't confuse things. Yeah. We know the only <laughs> thing that's important is a head angle. But it's so complicated. Yeah, it's uh, the whole bike what makes makes the bike. It's not just one thing. And um, I have the advantage at the moment that I pretty much do everything. Mm. I think about the uh, geometry, the uh, kinematics, and the suspension one go, and I also design the bike. So I have everything, all the details in my head, and I that kind of forms it. And it's really hard to explain that for all the people because your brain is... Uh, it, it calculates everything and you have that by feeling that all these things are coming together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, But the, the fact is that uh, like w- now I think that we have all the pieces together. Like uh, two th- 2013, we have 29-inch wheels, but nobody kind of thought about them as a... A solution to uh, some kind of problem mm. but now that if you look at our bike it looks like a normal bike a normal bike that was the changing point eh? yeah the bikes look normal again yes yeah. so um uh, i think that the 29er wheels completed the geometry that i was searching for the uh nobody had thought about the bike could be that big and mm. it could go around the corners so uh, now you can see when when people are riding those bikes they go around corners at really steep corners and actually most of the people say that it's easier to go around corner with a big bike mm. because you have bigger back platform to do of course there's physical limitations but mm. i haven't found really a trail that people are generally riding that you couldn't ride with a big xl bowler mm. for example yeah it's interesting because imagine with your bikes and when you kind of bought them out you know the customer base is getting better educated in a lot of ways but there's still there's still the language yeah the accept kind of the acceptable language and this is what we all agree is a good idea and this is what we agree is a not bad idea how has the the market sort of well why do you think some people have resisted the idea of progression in mountain bike geometry because like the elephant in the room is that there are some people that do really resist progressive geometry and are convinced that they really don't want it. Why? Why do you think that is? I think that's just human nature. Mm-hmm. Is uh, people, like I said, people are not searching solutions to the problems, mm-hmm. or they don't realize what's the real problem, or they just. This is a really basic thing that you just got a new bike and somebody's mm-hmm. bringing you a new idea. You don't want them mm-hmm. to be around with new, yes. their new ideas because you just. Bought bought your uh, dream bike, yeah. And somebody just brought a new thing into a room, and and you don't you don't want to see it. And also, is just unlearning something you already learned, or or uh, uh, somebody has an idea. There's a. I think it's normal to resist new uh, opinions because this is an opinion. It's not a some some stuff is really hard to point as a fact. Yes, no, you're very very right. And uh, uh, I was. Uh, when I was pretty much alone in the first uh, uh, couple of years uh, talking about it and I didn't have any proof only on my own tests mm. that we, we did and uh, people said that you're not a professional racer or whatever and uh, they said that well so why people are winning EWS with this and this bike and like come on they are athletes <laughs> there's a more into that and uh, they're a common as well, a common 
uh, argument is why the big companies are not doing that because if it would be better, they would do it immediately. Uh, that's not a good argument as well because big companies don't want they they don't want to change. They would just want to continue with the same old same old. That's the they have the most market shares. The the mavericks are the 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 companies that. The, the people who change it are small. They they are the change in the in the world generally, mm. and yeah. not just in mountain bikes. And it's interesting, yeah. You know, for me, and this I can only I really really can only speak personally, but you know the the things I'm often drawn towards, be it in you know you know we're actually talking about this just before as well. You know, the comedy I like is anti-establishment. <laughs> yeah. You know the band I listen, the bands I listen to often. You know the music is quite anti-establishment. There's a lot yeah. of things about that about my personality that lends itself towards that. A lot of those, a lot of those, when you talk about a band or something like a comedian, they've taken that distinct choice to be anti-establishment. Though the Sex Pistols, they they were actually quite deeply invested. It wasn't just an, <laughs> a look like they were like, oh yeah, let's smash the state. Yeah, you know, you listen to Alexi Sale or someone, and he's like very much. He, that is part of his act and it's part of his on-screen persona or on-stage persona. Do you think that your brand has kind of had this label of like, you know, agitator or disruptive but uh, applied well, by the external, but you just want to make great bikes and well, that's for other people to decide, you know? Yeah, um, probably because uh, I came out with ideas and also opinions and one of them was that we don't want to do carbon and I... So told exactly why yeah. uh, we've been transparent with uh, most of the stuff and and uh, of course we I'm a I'm a troublemaker mm. basically I heard from our customer that they were uh, he was in uh, in a race in United States and uh, he heard that <laughs> Santa Cruz sales guys needed to explain why they're doing carbon and how how is it so uh, I didn't know that I had that kind of impact mm. from from a guy from Finland saying that because that was our choice mm. and uh, I just, just explained because we needed to can we would promise to people that we make a we will make a carbon frame mm. and I need to explain why of course I found out some stuff that I didn't I, I didn't expect uh, to find and so why because this is someone actually really interested to talk to you about um, why did you if you could just in your own words explain why you didn't want to make a bike out of carbon well, I saw the process. I didn't like it. It's uh, too much uh, working with your hands, and there's a pro possibility to contaminate the, the layup process. And it's I didn't like the quality of the whole. I I don't say that uh, the factory was very good. Mm -hmm. uh, they had really good processes and everything, but making a triangle tube. Mm -hmm. Uh, from carbon, it doesn't make sense in in uh, engineering wise. And uh, the final straw was that when I asked the engineer, one of the engineers, that where where are you putting the waste, the cutting waste of the uh, mm. the carbon, he said that it's ocean ocean fill. And I need to ask him again, what yeah. what did you say? What what it was? And in, the, in a, a Chinese dialect, ocean fill. Yeah, and I'm like. Okay, but, uh, I don't that, like that. <laughs> yeah, that that was a real kind of headline-grabbing thing. Yes. I mean, it, yeah. And, you know, I mean, how do I feel about it? I think that... Hmm, how to put it? I think that the bicycle industry is a really... It's a leisure thing. Mm, yes. And if it probably, you know, without without going into it, 
I think that there isn't any one aspect. You couldn't, you'd be struggled to find any aspect of the bicycle industry that couldn't improve, you know, environment, yeah. be, be, to be less environmentally impactful. But when, when you were kind of, you said that thing about the ocean, Phil, and then all this heat came along. Yeah. <laughs> was it a bit of the thought, no, because you you're kind of making, maybe making yourself a bit of a martyr when you didn't intend to be. Did 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 you look back at that and after? Because I say sometimes, I mean, not sometimes. I often say things yeah. that I look back and think that's a bit too close to the bone. Did you look back at that and a little bit of time and thought actually maybe I should have been a bit more tactful? Or do you stand by it and say, oh no, it was worth the disruption. It was worth. Well, it's uh, people accused me about like marketing. It was all about marketing. We did did the story with Paul Aston, and Paul is very envir- environmentally yes, he is indeed yeah. guy, and. Uh, and uh, I, I, we didn't think about it. I think well, I was just saying that this is our reason, and I found this as well. But then <clears throat> I think the online people and uh, other people just turn it to recycling thing, more or less. And there was a lot of proof that like the companies take the carbon back and they recycle mm-hmm. it, which is not true. You can't recycle carbon you can just kind of you can, re- you can, you can reconstitute it yeah you can yeah. kind of reuse it but you need, still need to burn the resin off mm. which is uh, most of the pollution anyway mm. so uh, but uh, like the fact is aluminum is 100% recyclable yeah. so so kind of we uh, people got stuck into that but nobody kind of thought about the the fact that it's actually you can't use it and still the quality issues with carbon is pretty big problem these days. I just were in uh, Malaga and mm. one guy uh, split the head tube off for a carbon bike in just a normal yeah, uh, trail ride. Along. Yeah. yeah, and, and uh, it was just, uh, it was, I was just, the, you, just you should uh, send the factory the pictures and mm. they will send you a new frame. And the, and the fact was they said, oh, I, we hope that you're in better shape than the bike. And this is a yeah. crash replacement thing. But this is something that I've, I've kind of, I feel obligated to ask. Just so you know, we, we've we've talked about um, carbon and the, the pitfalls of carbon manufacturing. Mm. But I think you know, if we spoke to somebody that did a lot of development in carbon mm. or a lot of manufacturing in carbon, they would say, "But come on now, alloy extrusion, aluminium yeah. extrusion isn't exactly butterflies and fairies. Some of that can be very impactful as well." You know, in terms of the environment, yes, it can be recycled. I think to a de- to an easier degree, but I think I all think, what we do is has an impact. Yes, so, and I think that's we so, need. Yeah, so we need to just think about like uh, if we would just think about the numbers and everything, uh, we wouldn't. Nobody would ride bikes mm. at yes, all. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So uh, or fly to uh, uh, mm. <laughs> any any destination to ride their bikes. So basically. Like it is a little bit hypocritic to say that we would ditch this project because mm. of environmental reasons, and we didn't do it. Like there was our headline was ethical reasons. Mm. So basically, uh, the the thing is that we found out that this is not following our our uh, brand philosophy. Mm. So so that's what we why we ditched it. Yeah, I think it's for me personally. I never believe the, say if I'm having a discussion with somebody, as soon as somebody mentions 
well, sorry, I think as a culture, we have an obsession with hypocrisy mm. because it's such a, like a game set and match. If you can go, that's hypocritical, yeah. then you basically won the argument. I don't necessarily believe that. You know, I remember once hearing this journalist describe somebody was at basically an, um, a march to say maybe things in society could be done fairer. Yeah. Which, you know, perfectly valid, I'm sure. And um, they said, well, they're drinking a cup of Starbucks coffee yeah. as if that invalidates everything they have to say. But I think you can be part of a system while also saying maybe we can improve the system. Mm. You know, I mean, it's because hip hypocrisy is, can always be found out. Yes. You know, um, when you are designing a bike or when you when you're riding your bike, who do you consider the brands that are your sort of contemporaries? You know, are there other brands that you like you look, you compare yourself towards or or you wonder what they're doing with kind of genuine interest and think oh that, that, you know um, do you see what i mean well when i ride the bike i just my concept is just i i just want to find out new things that mm. could be improved i'm not really doing benchmarking with any other bikes i sometimes when somebody's wants to try my bike i ride their bike and then mm. i make my observations but i don't want to spoil myself with other brands mm -hmm of uh of course i'm interested in what what uh do they follow us because at the moment i think we're in head of stuff i mm -hmm. i like to believe it that i found out something that it's it is uh remarkable and well we haven't really changed our geometry concept since 2000 and uh, well 16 mm -hmm. when we came out with evolink and we i have a like a recipe that i used for mm. all the bikes so um I don't know I'm uh, I could get old yeah. with that, this stuff as well somebody somebody will be there who's uh, inventing something new but you know I'm sure there's a time that Mick Jagger says to his next neighbors can you just keep the noise down yeah you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. times change yeah that's that's what I'm afraid of <laughs> that some someday that that will happen but uh, I, no, it's not sure I'm yet I'm trying to I, watch Downton Abbey you animals <laughs> But it's like I don't feel like at the moment that there is somebody out there who is uh, doing at least this uh, bike performance better. I'm sorry, this is a like sounds like I'm saying something like no, but like uh, bragging. But what? just uh, that's what I feel at the moment. I, I think it's it's as long as you highlight that everything's subjective. Yes, Do you know what I mean. Of course. Then yeah. you're saying that's fair, fair enough to back yourself. I think yeah. it'd be strange if you said, "Ooh, uh, yeah, we we don't do so good at the old yeah. bike manufacturing." Yeah. <laughs> that would well, be more concerning. Yeah, like we're not. Uh, we haven't been great on, uh, like, actually handling the the factory because we've grown quite a lot, and mm. uh, that's put a, a lot of pain to us. That that's what we've been struggling with. Mm. Uh, we have found like a made a really good pro uh, like a. A really good product which is performs very good but then the production is not fast enough mm. and that's what we're struggling and i have a lot of ideas that are i have tons of drawings waiting to be made <laughs> but there's no yes. there, there's no, no time for yeah. my my inventions at the moment <laughs> but when in say you know five ten years down the line yeah you have facilitated the resources and the mechanisms to mass produce these ideas of yours. Yep. And you can not only make them to order, but then beyond. You anticipate huge orders year in, year out. Yep. And some other company who's small yeah. says, 
your industry can't turn on a dime. You know? Yeah. You'll probably be like, well, hold on, I was... I was cool once. I still wear like, tight trousers. I've, I, I listen to cool music. Give me a break, you know? <clears throat> and sometimes you look at companies like, um, I'd say Specialized in China, two really interesting companies, just in specifically to this. If we look at the the Rain and the Enduro, which have just come out, yeah, it feels like brands such as Poly, um, Geometron, these sort of brands, whilst maybe not selling the same volume of bikes, have pulled the conversation one way. Yes, um, do you kind of take pride in that? That you know, the the, the big industries are kind of have, are sort of reacting to these smaller, yes. these smaller brands. Yeah, really, really like that. It's it is uh, something that, uh, for example, if we look at what I'm proud of is the 2016 Evolink, which basically represents the bike of the day. Uh, from the bigger band brands, mm. we have twenty. We had twenty-nine inch wheels, one forty rear, one sixty in front, mm. and then the geometry numbers are what they are. And now, when you look at the bikes, what what are coming out uh, are pretty much on that concept. And uh, when uh, I came out with the Evolink one forty, and uh, I believe I was interviewed by Enduro, and they asked me. What do you think about this? How's the future? Will uh, the bigger companies follow? And I said, I give them five years. And after five years, they're moving to this direction. And that's uh, what I believed back then. And that happened. I'm more proud of that, uh, yes, like uh, I what I did say back then than uh, creating the product, actually. So I was, I, everybody wants to be right. <laughs> everybody wants to be right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're very true. Yeah. Um, when, as a consumer, I'm choosing my bike, <clears throat> Because, you know, like we said earlier on, you know, the consumer consumers are getting better educated with numbers. And so sometimes I look at the numbers more than I look at necessarily the sizes. Mm. If I was on a road bike, I'd say I'm a 56. No messing about. I'm a 56. In a mountain bike, sometimes there can be such a variance between one person's large and another person's large. So to such and such, some people's larges is identical to their XL or vice versa. Do you think users should trust the stickers of medium, large, extra large? Or do you think they should, you know, the thing I worry about is like a lot of people aim for reach now. That's the really hot topic, reach, reach, reach. But as we said earlier on, a bike's a very complicated thing. And so sometimes reach, you know, if you have a a long reach, but then a very slack seat tube, you could end up with an absolutely ginormous bike. You know, do you think that we should go off Geometry charts or the manufacturer's recommendations? Well, uh, let's talk about first the road bikes. Mm-hmm. Road bikes have uh, rules uh, from UCI. Yes. So they are built for, uh, so everybody would ride similar bikes. Mm. So everybody had, like in competitions, there wouldn't be big advantage from uh, engineering. Yeah. So so that's, that's why road bikes are what they are. And actually, if we look at mountain bikes, uh, uh, from to nearly 2010, uh, you only have the downhill bikes, which were taking a different path from road bikes, which were modified to yeah. XC and trail bikes. Maybe, because yeah, of the, yeah. the tubes were really the limiting thing. Nobody could make uh, a really slack bike because there's a mechanical, the weldings and everything wouldn't work and there wasn't tube long enough to make a slacker bikes yeah. or longer reach bikes. So this is where the the trail bikes 
come from? And uh, what happened when we started designing the bikes uh, uh, in after 2010, the downhill bikes came closer to... Uh, now you have the... For example, our Stamina 180 is... is probably a lot more capable than a downhill bike from 2008 mm. and uh so basically uh, the the uh, the how you ride the bike as a you, in a seated position and then you stand on it so the reach number isn't that critical on on sizing on when you ride it from standing mm-hmm. uh like uh, you stand on it, but when you sit on the bike, the side is more important, like you see on road bikes. So, uh, and on road bikes, the limiting factor is the C tube mm. uh, uh, length, uh, because you can't go, you can't upsize a lot because mm. that you you don't, yeah. <laughs> you just don't can't do it. But on on mountain bikes, the C tube is not the limiting factor, so you can actually go. Uh, to if you're medium you can go to large or if you're large you can go to medium and you can adjust the bike with stem and seat but you don't have those rules yes. as in, in in road bikes but i would i would definitely look at more uh, well on our bikes uh, i've uh, tried to uh, create the bikes so that the the um the size fits uh, i mean matches the, the what i would we recommend okay because do you have any of your riders well it feels like um no, you buy a pole. Yes. A pole, sorry. You're buying in sort of an ideology. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Which I think is really admirable. Do you have any of your riders that ride not, that don't ride the size that you necessarily recommend? Well, around 180 uh, centimeters tall people, uh, for example, Matti Lehekon, he rides a medium. Mm-hmm. He he can ride a large, but he chose a medium, probably because we didn't have the large in, in hand mm-hmm. when he picked the bike. Yeah. Uh, he didn't want to wait, so uh, he started riding medium. But um, how tall is he for reference? Sorry, do you know? I think he's uh, same size as you. It's about one eight two, one eight three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, well, sometimes I ride large, or for example, I was racing EWS in Madeira with large stamina because we need to test the first. I always test the first of the batch. Uh, and then the r- racers get after so that. You, or... you make it sound like a chore, but I bet that's pretty cool. <laughs> zero, zero, one. Oh, guys, sorry. I'll have to ride this one. You can wait a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I take my responsibility of the design. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, uh, so I can ride the large. It rides differently. I can. I don't know. I made my best uh, results with large in mm. race always, but I, I enjoy more the medium because mm. it's, little more more playful i can get do i i feel more riding on it so uh it's i can pedal both the i can make them comfortable on pedaling so i i would say that um it it doesn't really matter which size you go on if you're in middle size i would go the smaller and then you can adjust it with handlebars stems Mm. and you can put the seat you can actually move the seat in yeah. both directions <laughs> well that's it we talk about yeah something like reach or you'll see the position yeah and if you have you know four centimeters narrower or wider handlebars yeah and different back sweeps yes. different stem yes suddenly that can be a huge amount of it variance. changes a lot huge so amount what i uh, tell our uh, well any anyone who rides a mountain bike five millimeters of stack height mm. makes a huge difference mm. oh yeah it, it, it shifts your weight quite a lot so um, humans are 
adaptable. So you don't need to be like this is what I need, keep repeating is uh, the bicycles are not vehicles. They are they are bikes. So basically you can adapt to well for, for example if you go on dirt jump bikes mm. they're so tiny mm. but you still can ride them pretty properly and a lot of people have been riding tiny bikes long time before yeah. we even came with the long it, bikes it's funny you mentioned stack height because for me going between everyone talks yeah so many dimensions on a bike that's yeah. so so important wheel size so important yeah but for me and it's you're gonna laugh but as long as when my bike is exactly perpendicular to the ground so straight up i get my little um geometry gauge to make sure it's exactly straight up and i measure to the top of the grip and as long as it's about 108 centimeters from the ground i feel comfortable on it no science yeah it's probably all horse crap but yep. it works for me but do you yeah that's what i was just about to ask do you remember uh, do you remember to measure the bottom bracket height as well well i think bottom bracket height is something that is really confusing but hear me out yeah different pedals go between right go two different brands of shoe back to back yeah Huge difference. Yes. So people say, oh, the bottom bracket's got, you know, 30 mil wheel, wheel, axle drop or something. Oh, that's huge. What shoes do you want? You know, like, like <laughs> loafers, like Mel B out the Spice Girls with dead fish in them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's really, like I said, for me, when I'm out the saddle and leaning the bike, it's that height that I think when I first got on 29ers and the, you know, the stack height was bigger and everything, it felt really unbalanced. But if I stick to that number, like I said, there's no science and it's only anecdotal, but I find that's the thing that makes a bike feel from that, in that tipping point and that you're that, I think it's that leverage from well, that's when the, you're in a turn. Well, that's what I'm more interested in the future is the, the BB height actually makes a quite, a, quite a lot of difference. Uh, well, mullet bikes. Mm. Uh, a lot of people ask me, why don't we make a mullet bike? I said, there's no reason for us to make one. And uh, when people ask about it more, it's like, uh, for example, there was a friend who said that he needed to make his 29 mullet so he can ride it because he's short. And mm. I was like, okay, what's your BB drop? And he's like, I don't know. I was like, well, let's measure it. It's five centimeters. And I said, like, that's why your ass is touching the rear wheel. But BB drop, something like head angle, is, is a dynamic thing well because it depends how you have your the spring rate and it depends you know there's so much that changes and i think what what we're demonstrating here is the bike design is really complicated yeah it is uh, because you know for instance, a cross-country bike will have a lower bb than a downhill bike yes but then do well, you downhill I mean? bike has a suspension yeah, exactly yeah. but to the consumer that just looks at a geometry chart yeah and goes that's the trend that's the holy grail that's the magic number yes and then, like I said, they go on there with their platform shoes and pedals like a chalk ice and, a, you know, 200 mil of travel. Yeah. And suddenly it's there's so many contributing strange numbers. And it's a, we did a video on Offset recently. Yeah. And I just tried to keep it in the two-dimensional space. So we talked basically about how it alters, how you weight the front wheel. Mm. I know there were, you know, how the wheel deflects and people say like, you know, a shopping trolley. <laughs> but we tried to keep it in a two-dimensional space because it's just such a complicated thing. When you start to yeah. lean a bike. Yeah. It, it all goes out the window. Yes. And it's funny because some, some people really got it straight away when we talk about two-dimensional space. But some people, you know, offset, for instance. Yeah. It changes, well, your bottom bracket height's going to have an effect on that. Yes. You know, not only is your head tube angle going to affect it drastically in terms yeah. of well, trail and stuff. Well, basically, I designed the Stamina 140 so that it's 140-140, mm. but with a 42 offset. So right. if you want to go 150 or 160, 
one with one fifty fork. If you put fifty one offset, it's exactly the same height. Everything is the same geometry uh, as the one forty. So you can increase one centimeter of travel, but and then put uh, the uh, by using the fifty one offset, it will be the exactly the same. Oh wow! That's so super cool. So, but. People ask when. Well, uh, will the uh, characteristics change because the offset is so different? Like, no, it's 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 n it doesn't really affect that much as uh, people say. That I I just found out that I could, there's a cool trick that we can change the uh, geometry a little bit. Yeah, that's it. I found that it for me it changed a lot. It just for me it really changed it when you were leaning the bike whilst also. Like I know you shouldn't do, but applying the old Mister Brake, yeah, and then suddenly that's where it was really different yeah. because the grip. I felt that I've got hardwired sort of modulation levels in my fingers, yeah. you know, for some years of riding, and I know where the bike point is, and there was just so much more deli grip delivered on the front wheel that suddenly it was like, oh, yeah. oh, you know, that I thought was really interesting. Well, it changes that, mm. and and that's what uh, also people are not talking about that much: the mm. braking. Yeah, the braking really is different. so big difference in uh, in bike that if you talk uh, talk about the two-dimensional uh, thinking about it if you look at the static numbers of bike but then you need to think about it how is it when you load it uh, like when you uh, when you enter a corner high, high speed corner you lean but you need to go behind the bar when you break otherwise you would go yes. through the window yeah <laughs> oh, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to get lower and then you push the brake and a lot of weight is shifting to the front. Mm -hmm. And this is actually where, where I don't believe in the anti-dive forks because mm -hmm. that's what it does. It doesn't dive. Mm. And that's what happens when it hit the bumps. You don't actually have damping. Yes. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> so basically the braking is really big part of uh, mountain biking mm. is, is huge and we're, we don't talk about it a lot. But braking for me dictates the whole feel of a bike. Yes. Because <laughs> there is nothing more alien than when you when you apply the brakes yeah. and something you're not expecting to happen. So say you accelerate, which can happen. You yeah. know, you're going to start really steep. You apply the brakes and you yeah. start gathering speed. You lock yeah. up wheels. For me, it's as alien as if I pedaled forward and I started rolling backwards. Yeah. Because we have that conditioned so fundamentally in our brains this slows us down yeah and so it's like when your brakes don't work say if you know you i've had it before where like you know the, the material sheared off the rotor it's like i'm gonna break oh i'm not braking you just speed up <laughs> and it's so funny that braking is often overlooked yeah and for me like you know you put some horrible brake levers that have a bit of yeah. chatter on or inconsistent yeah. feel and the whole ride is compromised yeah. um there's actually been a bike that has sort of come out with our friends at Pink Bike, or sorry, uh, the idea of a bike, the Grim Donut, which firstly, I'm a big fan. You know, it's funny being, obviously being privileged, privileged enough to work here, I'm immersed in the industry, but I'm still a fan at heart. I still, I still watch racing as a fan. Even when I was working in the World Cups, I would still watch the racing as a fan. <laughs> and I feel like everything else is just a bonus. So I follow Pink Bike and Vital and all that sort of stuff. And I really... There's something about this Grim Donut thing. Even a ridiculous cartoon caricature of a bike really captured my imagination. <laughs> I Is loved it... how it looked with the, the trust Oh, fork. yeah. The tr <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was um, quite... I don't know which way it's going. <laughs> like... Yeah, it looked... Um, yeah, it looked like the wheels were scared of each other. Yeah. And they're just running in opposite directions. <laughs> um, Is that really the bike of the future? 
<laughs> well, <laughs> you can give me a one-word answer if you like. Or you can, I, I don't can... think so. I, I think the the uh, future bikes will look uh, very much different different than that. But I think it's a it's a good way. I think it's a cool cool uh, thing what they did. Mm. actually, I I've been thinking that why none of the media's have made their own right, bike because they down. seem to know Jesus. everything oh, right about the, <laughs> because they they have all all the data and everything mm. why why wouldn't they uh, design a bike but of course i know how difficult it is and and uh for example mike was there i won three bottles inside the frame and he got none but that was and god <laughs> like i really buy the project i really enjoy the stuff that mike and the team put out but the fact they didn't have one bottle cage yeah. was absolute. That made it better. Yeah, just like oh, that's because I do that as well. Yeah, like, oh, it, it, uh, no bottle cage. My yeah. life is so difficult. Oh my god, I'm such a drama queen about it. But actually, I've never designed a bike, and I would love to do it. I think one day, whether it's you know Atherton bikes or you know Geometron. I want to put my money where my mouth is, <laughs> and I want to be you know fundamentally silenced as everyone's like. Yeah, never speak again. I'll go. Yes, yeah. yeah, sorry, sir. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not that easy. I I managed to put two inside one frame, like big bottles, and uh, it's actually it's not very easy. When when you people draw a bike, mm. and I want this kind of lead reshaper and this this and this and that, but when you need to go actually do it mm. and make the bike work, and it needs to be light, stiff, mm. uh, durable, with, and good with the two bottles in the frame. Yeah. In England, you can get the milk bottles delivered straight to your house. Yeah. I assume in Finland you have a very long driveway and you need to go collect them. Yeah. Was, was that the reasoning? Oh, how am I going to get the three bottles of milk every morning? <clears throat> in I Finland, you can't <laughs> deliver anything to the doorstep. It would be frozen. Yeah. <laughs> but that was pretty cool. That's another... Was, was the three bottle cage thing a bit of tongue-in-cheek gentle humor well i i wouldn't need it to put it on down to the that's the that's cage. what got me yeah yeah it was like <laughs> i was just uh we had that already there and like why would we remove something if uh, somebody finds some use for yes, it true. i think two is enough uh, mm-hmm. uh, but i've seen uh our customers having three as well but mm-hmm. like it is something that a lot of people have different kind of needs and why should I limit them if if we have a choice to put it there and yeah. it doesn't make any harm to the frame itself? Yeah, very true. But I think I'm really interested in finding out how the bike rides. What what the guy guys? I am so interested. <laughs> think about it. Yeah, I think it, I think it's super cool. I think um, you know, even what I liked about it was it highlighted even just going to the big bike show. Yeah. You can't just say make me a bike. You know, there was all that trouble with them. Um, um, sick bicycles and and that sort of thing and I think that it's quite you know you look at other industries yeah and they don't get this level of insider knowledge in you know if you're a car enthusiast yeah you don't you know it doesn't really happen like that you know you can't get a Formula One car even like ten thousand pounds huge amount of money yeah but you can't do it you know yeah. and you can't just be like watch a video of a man just go up and try and build a ridiculously... Imagine if a car magazine tried to build the Formula One car yeah. in 2030. Um, Couldn't happen. It's, it's not prob. In 80s, 70s, it would be probably mm. possible. But uh, what Pinkbike went through, they had these two uh, different episodes. One, they went to Taiwan and asked about it, how, how to make a bike, and now they actually did one. I've done it in real world, and... 
it is so difficult to actually get them to make you a bike. It's not um, like if you just give them the money, the budget, and accept perfect delivery, not gonna happen. Yeah. It, it is it is totally disastrous if you just oh, trust yeah. the the people that they have best intentions of serving you the best, and the, because there's no, they don't. They don't ride bikes. Most of mm -hmm. them don't. Mm -hmm. They don't have the same passion as you you do when when I go there and talk about yeah, uh, geometries I've, and I've everything. Had, they were like, "Oh, shut up!" And, but we just want to build the bike and let's just. Or, they always try to just order this one. We have it ready already. Mm -hmm. Don't don't bring your ideas because they know how difficult it is it is to make one and uh, yeah uh, now we're making them in finland as well yeah so I, i've had that trying to go through the development prototyping of handlebars yeah and little things like the graphics need to be in the middle yeah you know yeah. and honestly if you're at home now next time you get your handlebars yeah. you'd be surprised how many handlebars don't come with the graphics exactly yeah. centered yes and people oh i need to get it the millimeter marks yeah. exactly yeah. right and actually it's like yeah, you need to measure it it's yeah. uh, it is because uh, if you would see how people are actually doing those graphics it is not that like uh, a lot of people say whenever a bike gets cracked uh, in the welding seam that the robot didn't weld it very good this time is that i don't think there's not many bikes welded by robots they're actually human beings welding those bikes and yeah. and uh, even even the big big companies and actually our evolings are made in in a factory that makes one of the biggest uh, bike brands bikes oh, wow. in the same same place so so um it is a it is a hand, like a uh, handcrafted Every, every bike is handcrafted. handcrafted. And I think the robots are doing better work. I want to build bikes with robots because it's uh, that that's the future. Yeah. In, in And I think uh, what uh, the robot bikes, which is now uh, after that using the same, same methods, I think that is something that it will be the future, not uh, necessarily yet, but uh, I think the future would look more like what you say that uh, what the Grim Donut would will be bikes mm. look like that i think they're more uh like they are better quality you can actually get the two bottles in <laughs> or one at least yeah because there's no limitation or that much limitation of the tubing or whatever mm -hmm. i don't know about the geometry i think uh the geometry will follow the the performance uh how how we measure it at least and at the moment we don't feel that like uh, the BB is what I'm interested in at the moment uh, because I think that uh, uh, that's could be bigger could be. thing than could be the dimension of the future that yeah. everyone's saying. Yes, what, what's the magical what's BB? What's the BB height? Yeah, but I'm I'm at the moment I'm I'm just uh, looking at it and trying to do my own research. I don't know which way it goes, but well, <laughs> I think that's something for us all to look forward to yeah. thank you very much for coming on the GMBM podcast thank you it's been absolutely fascinating having you on and plenty of food for thought